Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, July 12, 2013. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in Chapter 4, We Agnostics. And we are on page 44, and... We are going to read this. We're going to review the second paragraph and read the third paragraph. And today's readers are the 12 steps, Marge, 12 traditions, Lisa, and then Rick, Sharon, Katie, and Kim. The share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 11th of July, is 4785. 4785. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Marge to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. My name is Marge. I'm a compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Marge. I will now ask Lisa N., to read the 12 traditions, please. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, everyone. This is Lisa from South Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, 
Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsive overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the individuals, to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lisa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your comments to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your comments to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirements for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your commenting be directly linked to what was read. We are commenting what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us share by let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in Chapter 4, We Agnostics, on page 44. And we are going to review the second paragraph and read the third paragraph. And we're going to start with, To One Who Feels He Is an Atheist. And Rick, can you begin reading, please? To one who feels he is an atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible. 
but to continue as he, as he is means disaster, especially if he is an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. To be doomed to an alcoholic death but to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. But it isn't so difficult. About half of our original fellowship were exactly that type. At first, some of us tried to avoid the issue, hoping against hope we were not true alcoholics. But after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find the spiritual basis of life or else. Perhaps it is going to be that way with you. But cheer up. Something like half of us thought we were atheists or agnostics. Our experience shows that you need not be disconcerted. Good morning. My name is Rick, and I'm a compulsive overreader, recovered. And I like that very last line. Our experience shows that you need not be disconcerted. So I looked up disconcerted. It says upset, troubled, shaken confused, annoyed, or embarrassed. And I think the word that would probably fit me the most was embarrassed. I was I was embarrassed when I started listening to meetings like this and going to serious big book meetings. I, I was embarrassed because I heard all this spiritual talk and all this talk about God and how people developed a relationship and I was thinking to myself, I don't belong here. This isn't for me. This isn't going to work. I, I, I shouldn't be listening to this. I, I felt hypocritical. But I, I, I hung around, and I listened to the message, and I listened to what people had to say. And I trusted the process, and I, I worked these steps. And by working these steps, I was able to find that spiritual experience that they talk about in this chapter. I, I never I never liked it, this chapter. I always thought they were just saying, you know, to, the title sounded good. Okay, it's for an agnostic. But the end of the chapter says, you'll come around to our way of thinking. And I, I, I used to cringe. But now this I'd say this is one of my, my favorite chapters because if you trust the process and you follow the directions, you will develop a relationship with a power greater than yourself, whatever that might be. But you, it won't happen unless you do what the book says. If you do what they, they tell us to do, you will know exactly what it is that changes in you, and you'll be able to share along with everybody else and, and tell your story about developing that relationship that changes your outlook on living. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rick. And would anyone like to comment on the third paragraph? But it was isn't so di- difficult. That's where we're going to place our comments here this morning. Would anyone else like to comment here? Katie from Boston. I heard Katie. Go ahead. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie from Boston. I'm a recovered compulsive reader. Grateful to be on the chapter We Agnostics. And um, when I got to this work, the um, part of the reading, my sponsor pointed out to me, it's we agnostics. In other words, I am being included and talked to me about, you know, the definition of agnosticism that we talked about yesterday. Um, She said, you know, to me, God was not able to be known. It wasn't possible for me to know God's will if I was agnostic, you know, if I 
um, talked about God, but then, you know, acted like I was running the show. And I, I love this um, particular um, paragraph because, I mean, it's it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know, in terms of, you know, they tell us in the above paragraph to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to faith. Um, but we must find a spiritual basis of life or else, you know, I mean, it's kind of ironic, like if you told people who are in a cancer ward, like, here's your medication, go ahead and take it, they're going to go ahead and take it. But for me, you know, to be called a a compulsive overeater was like the worst thing that that I could ever imagine. And then to find a spiritual basis of life, like, I walked around worshiping my mind, you know. I I thought, you know, I'm too smart. I, I can't, you know, I, I don't need a God. Like, look at, I am Katie. I don't, I, I don't need, I don't need additional help. I, I can do this on my own. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. Um, but, you know, I, I love that it says, you know, cheer up. You know, some of us, something like half of us thought we were atheists or agnostics. And it's okay. You don't have to be, um, you know, alarmed or afraid. Like it's going to, if you, as the previous speaker said, if you trust the process and move forward with it, um, you know, you too can find a relationship with God. But I had to be, at this point in the work, I had to be devastated again. Like in order to move forward with this process, I had to be, I had to fully concede to my innermost self that I'm a compulsive overeater and I am doomed. I am doomed that I am beyond human aid and I have no power but and, and no choice but to try because nothing else is working. You know, and I definitely tried to avoid the issue. I definitely didn't want to. I did not. I wanted to be a crazy, you know, I wasn't going to be a compulsive overeater. I was going to be different. I was going to be anorexic with a tinge of, you know, laxative consumption. And, you know, like I refused to just show up and be one among many. You know, I had to be unique. I had to be special, you know. And today, thank God, you know, I, I will say, um, I come back to we agnostics all the time because although I'm no longer agnostic with the food, there are many other areas of my life um, that, that I can get agnostic in, you know, that I can think, okay, I've got to start running the show. And I'm just grateful that I can come back to this. Remember, I'm an agnostic. And then my, my purpose is to find a spiritual basis of life, to get right with God, which is what I do when I'm living in the step. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment on this third paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, my fellows. My name is uh, Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. At first, some of us tried to avoid the issue, hoping against hope we were not true alcoholics. You know, there's so many terms we hear in this big book about um, true alcoholics, alcoholics of our type. If you are seriously alcoholic as we were, so that was what the, most of the teaching was prior to this, trying to differentiate between the true alcoholic and the heavy eater and the moderate eater. And we're hoping against hope, hoping against hope that we're not true alcoholics. We come into OA and we feel the camaraderie of people who eat like us and we feel the, the uh, comfort of sitting in a room with people that we don't feel like a freak. But we really don't want to be a compulsive overeater. We really don't want to have to do everything that we see other people doing. We just want to be able to sit there in our misery of compulsive overeating, 
you know, maybe getting a couple weeks together and then going back to the food and then getting a couple months together and going back to the food, but hoping against hope, hoping against hope that we're not the true alcoholic. You know, it amazes me how many decades people, including myself, could stay in the rooms without really working the 12 steps. You know, how many times I get on a phone call and I ask someone what step they're on and they're horrified. Now, they want, they want to know my food plan and they want, to know, they want to discuss their food plan. But to discuss the 12 steps, oh, that seems a little bit extreme. But if we, when they're teaching us here and our experience is going to get us to the point that we're cornered, we're going to finally get in that quicksand. We're going to finally have to fully concede that we're a compulsive overeater. So this, the, the paragraph says, but after a while we had to face the fact, face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. Once again, door number one, door number two, we must. And how often we love to say there's no must in this program. You know what? The whole entire 12-step program is suggested. You can come into an OA room for decades and never take the 12 steps. But if you decide, if you decide to take the suggestion and work the 12 steps, there are many, many musts. So if you are a true alcoholic, you're going to have to face the fact that you must find a spiritual basis of life or else. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Leanne. Rose. Leanne and then Rose. And this is Bella. Can I share after it? Yep. Leanne, Rose, and Bella. Thank you. This is Leanne from Massachusetts, and I just wanted to share. I'm uh, a recovering compulsive overeater, and uh, I love being a part of these meetings. And uh, for me, you know, I read this chapter, and I appreciate how it's saying that we must find the spiritual basis. Um, in my experience, I've experienced so much loss where so many, in, as a child, so many people had left me as a child, and then I come into program, and having carried those feelings of abandonment and loss and, and rejection and all of that, it was really difficult for me to grasp this idea of trusting a higher power because I always sort of had this feeling of, you know, but what if he leaves me or, you know, what if I'm not good enough or what if, you know, what if, you know, what if I'm not perfect? And then, of course, I, as, to, as I was coming into program you know, through the years, and I've had many re- relapses in program, but as I was coming into program, it was, you know, it was difficult. I, 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 at one time I got a sponsor and, you know, I was, I was working the program and, you know, working the steps and doing everything. And then my sponsor died and it was like traumatic. And so, again, experiencing this feeling of, you know, of truly trusting in a higher power who is not going to abandon me, who is not going to reject me. And that was something, you know, that I really had to, you know, take quiet time on and had to really work through. And, you know, it's it's really a process of truly coming to believe that there is a power greater than myself and this power is not going to leave me and that, you know, I can continue to rely on this power. And it's really by, you know, continuing to work the program, work the steps and, and uh, listen in on meetings like this. And then, um, but that's all I can really say. So for, for me, it wasn't so much that I didn't want to, but I had this fear 
of, of truly giving myself to it and allowing myself to trust and to turn to that higher power. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Leah. Rose, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. Uh, this is Rose, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And um, the one comment I want to add to all the great things that have been shared here is uh, with the sentence, but after a while we had to face the fact, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. And... Um, my experience with this is that <clears throat> finding a spiritual basis of life was was such a um i am not sure if I can find the words to explain what a a horrible unknown black holish um uh, thought that was to me action that was to me a spiritual basis of life meant like that I would come to believe that there was a power greater than Rose and that I would trust and rely on that power to not get me abstinent. That had been ha- that happened many times. But that power would, would um, help me stay abstinent, but it, it would change my life. And I, at that crossroads, I remember so clearly that that was not for Rose. If I gave up control, that was going to be the end. If I gave up trying to do it myself, that was going to be the end. And it was said earlier in the week, you know, that the self-control, testing of self-control was um, what was going on all this time, and it was for me. And what actually took place is that coming to believe that I did not have what it what I needed. I did not have the connection with God, what was needed for me to find out that these steps could give me a recovery. And due to the fact that I was brought to a method of doing the steps um, that was a very thorough method, um, the RLs got my attention. The, the that little like they put the dash before the or else and in the big book those dashes I have come to learn are like so significant what is being said in that dash or else and I could write you know a page about what the or else would mean or else essentially die without a spiritual basis without coming to know that a power greater than Rose could restore me to sanity and open the door to the rest of this program so that I could enter the level of being a human being with a disease called compulsive overeating that I admit a complete defeat over, and that, lo and behold, a higher power entered into my life and handed me a brand new one. And that is exactly, exactly what took place last year and continues to blossom and flourish as I continue to adhere very closely to these steps each day. Thank you, Monica. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. Go ahead, Bella. 
star one to unmute, Bella. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella, and I am a compulsive overeater. Wow, thank you very much, Monica, for leading the meeting, and thank you very much, everybody, to, to make possible this meeting. When I am reading this paragraph, I remind myself the first time when I came to the, to the room of OA, and I heard the talking about God and about higher power and about a spiritual uh, life. I said to myself, oh, Bella, come on, this is not a place for you. You are a religious person. You know everything about God. You know everything about a spiritual life. It's not for you. It's not connected to, to diet, to overweight. What does it mean, God, with overweight? Everything is you. If you do the diet, you lose. And if you don't do the diet, you don't lose. Bella, you know, this is not your right place to be. And I am so happy that nobody could see my thoughts because inside me I was laughing at all these people and I said, no, 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 I am not connected to this group. But um, then I couldn't explain what, what was it that still I wanted to be there and I, I continued to go to the meetings even though I said, no, 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 it's not my real place. I just wanted to prove to myself that here you go. I am trying another way, and you will see it's nothing to do with me. I try, but it doesn't go. And then I wanted to prove to the world that, you know, it's a fact. I am a heavy person. I am overweight. You don't understand what I'm going through, and that's it. I live now overweight, and most probably I will die an overweight person. And it was like, yes, I wanted to prove to everybody. Now I can understand that it was the, the whisper of God that he really had patience for me, and he just hold, holding my hand. And it was a kind of a whispering, Bella, don't leave this place. Bella, don't leave this place. And wow, thank you, God, that he really didn't let me leave this place. And now I understand, yes, you know, it's so wonderful that I have my connection, my wonderful connection with God. And it's even though I knew God and my whole life was a spiritual life. No, I didn't know. I didn't know who is God. I didn't have a connection with him. Completely not. I, I tried to build my connection with myself, what I didn't do the right way, and I didn't have any connection with nobody, not with myself, not with God, not with people. I just had a connection with food. And this was my all connection all my life. And now, thank you, God, that I am able to live in a spiritual way and to enjoy life and to be connected to God, to myself, to my friends, to my family. And now I know that, yes, I don't have control, and this is my unique, that I don't have control, and even though God created me in a special way, that I will be 
a part in the whole entire world and everybody has his unique his unique to give to this world and now i feel so much proud of my own self that i know that i can be i can give to this world and i can get from the world i am not afraid to say oh you know what i need now help oh you know what i need now your advice i i am a human being i have my limitation and it's a wonderful feeling that i don't have to prove to nobody and not even to myself that i am worth it i have one thing i am a child of god and because i am a child of god i am loved i am loved no matter what i will do and it's a wonderful wonderful gift for me for life and thank you very much and by this i will pass thank you bella well this is monica and i'm going to jump in here on this um paragraph so the the end of the last paragraph gave us two choices you know two choices either uh, uh continue in the food to uh, uh to death or live on a spiritual basis and Monica, we lost you. Press star one. <laughs> Can you hear me? Oh, we can. Thanks. Hi. Welcome back. Okay. Good. Thank you. Um, so here in the second paragraph, uh, at first some of us tried to avoid the issue. You know, we're searching for that door number three. Kept searching for that door number three for years, you know, hoping against hope that I wasn't a true compulsive overeater. And after a while, we had to face the fact, you know. So here we're at the point that we have to face the fact that, yes, I am a real compulsive overeater. And you know what? We're just saying the word yes and admitting here. That's step one. And you're opening the door just a little creak, but you're opening that door a little bit. And if you, um, and it is a process. And we don't and and to do that we must find a spiritual basis for life. Well the the one hundred recovered alcoholics are telling you we know how to do that. We one hundred recovered alcoholics know how to do that, and that's the whole purpose of this book is to show you, is to help you develop that relationship, to find that spiritual basis of life that will solve all your problems that will allow you to live in comfort and ease, to face, fact, to face life on a daily basis. They're not telling us here that we have to understand what this spiritual basis is or try to figure it out. They're just saying, at this point, say, yes, I'm a real compulsive overeater, and my way isn't working, and you all are telling me you have a way and a process. Well, I think I'll just... You know, I'm going to go on that basis that you know what you're talking about, and I will start working the steps. And our experience shows that you need not be disconcerted. You know, like Rick said, you don't need to be upset or troubled or shaken or confused or embarrassed because we have been on the path before you 
and we'll take your hand and we'll lead you down the path. And you know what? We know what's on the other side of that door and we'll guide you through it. And with that, I pass. And would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Leah. Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Monica. My name's Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, enjoying the humor of this statement here. But after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. Um, you know, the the disease uh, was continuing to progress. You know, this wasn't an intellectual decision that I made. This was a decision that was born out of pain um, and tears and frustration. Um, you know, the disease was, was beating me in, into a pulp. It had done its job of beating me uh, into a state of reasonableness. You know, I I like to say that God came in through my wound. You know, after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. I mean, or else. (laughs) The disease was continuing to turn the screws on me. And, uh, you know, hell was getting hotter by the day. And I I just couldn't uh, stand that position. You know, I was cornered. I was cornered. Uh, even even when the food was down, you know, it was uh, a state of being restless, irritable, and, and discontent. I was uncomfortable, you know, until I got to the point where I just, you know, had to scream out, you know, loosen me from these shackles, you know, free me from this trap, uh, this bottomless pit of this disease, abstinent or not. Um, It was pain that was the greatest motivator to effectuate change in someone like me. Pain, pain, absolute pain, Uh, because I kept going uh, deeper, deeper into suffering as I tried to do it my own way. You know, as I tried to do it my own way, and I kept trying to manipulate and trying to turn things to do it my way and figure it out and I kept suffering and suffering and I went from that state to a point of surrender to a point of uh you know my mind where my resistance resided to my spirit where I could be free through this process that's exactly what the 12 steps these spiritual uh, steps do is replace the intellectual path I was using. You know, the 12 steps are a spiritual path, and it replaced the intellectual path that I was using. Because the, the bottom line for me, it's a bottom line I always ask myself, you know, Leah, how free do you want to be? How free do you want to be? You want to continue to experience pain? Do you want to continue to uh, resist and defy and delay? Or do you want to throw yourself and submit yourself to this process? Um, This last statement here, our experience shows that you need not be disconcerted, troubled, or annoyed. I mean, that is a message of hope and salvation right there. That's the message of hope, hopefully, that this variety of voices on this line bring out. It's like, you know, pieces of a mosaic that when put together form a picture of hope. It's, it's almost magical that it enables all different 
people, all different kinds of people on this line, people who have not physically met, different backgrounds, people who would normally not mix to somehow come together and experience a change, a transformation like never seen anywhere else. And that is due to the implementation of these steps. And so when it says our experience shows that you need not be concerted, that's a message of hope for each and every one. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And Sharon, let's move on to the next paragraph, please. This is Sharon Masher. Hello? Um, yeah. Yes, Sharon, go ahead. And then Sharon, please read the next paragraph. Sharon, you want to share? Go ahead. Hello? Hear me? Hello? Go ahead, Sharon. We can hear you. This is Sharon. Hi, Sharon, can you I hear, hear me? you. I've Sharon from Colorado, would you go ahead and share, please? And then Sharon R.S. will start with the next paragraph after. Thank you, Melanie. Um, Thank you. To be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. But it isn't so difficult. About half of our original fellowship were of exactly that type. At first, some of us tried to avoid the issues, hoping against hope that we were not alcoholics. But after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. Perhaps it's going to be that way with you. But cheer up, something like half of us thought we were atheists or agnostics. Our experience shows that we, <clears throat> you need not be disconcerted. And when I looked at agnostic, it said skeptic, and it also said professing ignorance of anything beyond the material phenomena, which means anything that you can see or explain And that was my dilemma when I turned my back early on in my life against the religion that I'd grown up in. And it wasn't until I first came back into the 12-step rooms that I realized uh, what I had had turned my back on, essentially, was the very life of my soul. And um, But I, too, hoped against hope that I wasn't a compulsive overeater. So I'm in the process of doing my fourth and fifth step. I have set aside, I have a set aside prayer that I pray every day or every time I'm with my sponsor and we're doing the fourth and fifth step because I had sort of become a skeptic again um, regarding uh, that I needed a spiritual rooted basis for working this program in regards to my food addiction. And that's why I relapsed over and over again. So I'm just so grateful to be here today. I thank you so much for all of you who do service on the line. And I would pass. Thank you, Sharon. And now Sharon. Mm -hmm. Good morning, Monica. Thank you. Good morning to all. This is Sharon. I am a recovered compulsive overeater and so grateful to be on the line with you this point. If a mere code of morals 
or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. But we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us, no matter how much we tried. We could wish it to be we could wish to be moral, we could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. Our human resources as marshaled by the will were not sufficient. They failed utterly. Wow. So here is another powerful paragraph. We could have codes of morals. We could want to be good, believe in good. We could have a better philosophy. We could believe in all of the right way of doing things. We could live by the golden rule. We could do random acts of kindness all day long. And really, I have to tell you, I really was a good person. I am a good person. I really believe and believed in doing the right thing and living the right way. And in my heart of hearts, I really wanted to do the right thing. And yet, in the middle of the morning, when I would wake up and I would get that desire and that urge, I would get in my car and there I would go, driving to find my binge food. And so no matter how good I want, I could will it. I really wanted it. And it hurt me so bad that I couldn't live the way I believed, the way I wanted to. I couldn't do it no matter what. And this reminds me back here in the previous uh, chapter that we, we spent so much time looking into and teasing apart. And finally, we came to the conclusion, Bill says it here on page 42, that we would have to admit I have to throw several lifelong conceptions out of the window. So even my belief in my goodness, my rightness, I thought I had the right way, the right things to do. Here Bill tells us that these lifelong conceptions had to be thrown out of the window. And when we did that, the moment I made up my mind to go through with the process, I had the curious feeling that my alcoholic condition was relieved, as in fact it proved to be. And it wasn't until I let go of those conceptions, that belief that I could find a way of working these things out, if I, I could get to the certain, a certain position, I could pray a certain amount of times, I could, I could do something, I could do something that would put me in a position so that I could recover, so that I could stop doing what I didn't want to do. Well, I had to give that up. I had to throw that out of the window. 
because as Bill says here in this paragraph, the last sentence, our human resources as marshaled by the will, my will, were not sufficient. They failed utterly. And I'm a testimony that they failed over and over and over again. Nothing I could do could get me to stop taking that first bite. It says here that We lost you, Sharon. Star one to unmute. Moral philosophy, a better uh, moral codes or a better philosophy of living, none of those, none of those could keep me abstinent. The power wasn't there. I needed a power, a power that could come in and give me the power in the middle of the night to not pick up that first bite. That could give me the power when my will wasn't sufficient. That could give me the power that when, see, I would take that first bite without a thought. I needed something that could intervene on, even when my, there was no thought. I needed a power to stand there, to, to override even my mind, even when my mind couldn't be available. I needed a power that was greater than all of me, that was even greater than my belief system. I needed to be able to tap into that power that would never let me go, even when I could no longer hold on. And I'm grateful. And that's why I'm on this line every day, because that's, that power is available. And I have access to it. We all have access to it through this program of recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Amy. Amy, go ahead. Good morning. My name is Amy. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. We could wish to be moral. We could wish to be philosophically comfort. In fact, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. And if we scoot down to the next paragraph, lack of power, that was our dilemma. I could wish and will and want and desperately desire to stop eating, but if you're a compulsive overeater, as we've read about in this these last few chapters, like I am, like the book describes, I placed myself beyond human aid. Our human resources, as marshaled by the will, were not sufficient. They failed utterly. Remember, we've been talking about a disease that has this part of it that just it's the mental obsession, the greater aspect of the disease, the physical allergy and the mental obsession. This mental obsession warped my mind to the point that I could not think clearly. So it didn't matter whether I willed it, I wished it. My human resources were not able 
to combat this compulsive overreading. You know, we go to how it works in the chapter of how it works. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him nothing. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point, and we asked protection and care with complete abandon. And then it describes the steps. I mean, I mean, if if I look at my history, I mean, this chapter was written for me. I was one of the agnostics that came in, one of the half of the group that came in. I had treated God as a universal Santa Claus. He didn't give me what I wanted, so to heck with you, I was on my own. And I was going to do it on my own. And what wound up happening is I was killing myself with compulsive overeating and try and try as I wished and I wanted and what and and desired, I still could not stop bringing myself and putting that first bite in my mouth. My human resources had failed, so I needed a power greater than myself. You know, I didn't understand the God thing. And as others had mentioned, all that we needed to do was to be willing to make the effort, to surrender, to say, I am a compulsive overeater. I can't do this alone. Please help me. Please show me the way. And those who are recovered showed me the way. And through the process of working the 12 steps, I had a spiritual experience and then a spiritual awakening. I didn't understand it. I didn't grasp it all at first, but I did know one thing. I did know that I was dying of this disease. And if we go back to page 24, you know, it says there are but two solutions. Door one, door two, as everyone said. I love that description. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other was to accept spiritual help. You know, this we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. I was willing to make the effort at that point because I was terrified of going back to compulsive overeating. I was willing to surrender. I was willing to admit defeat. I was willing to say, you know what, I don't care if you tell me to crawl um, in pajamas backwards to Timbuktu. I don't know the answer. I can't give the answer. I am powerless. I need help. Show me the way. And that was the start. That was the start. That was the beginning of the opening of the door. And all it takes, folks, all it takes is a little bit of willingness to surrender and be willing and to believe to believe that this is the solution and it is the only solution. If we are truly, as this book describes, this is the solution. It is a spiritual solution, not a religious one, not a philosophical one, not an emotional one. It is a spiritual solution. These 12 steps bring us freedom from this compulsive overeater, and it just takes a little willingness to open the door to believe. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Would anyone else like to comment on this I paragraph? Do. This is Sally. Hello? I heard Sally and someone else. Tippy. Tippy. Yeah. Go ahead, Sally, and then zip, and then Tippy. Oh. Thank you, Monica. This is Sally from South Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. If a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism many of us would have recovered long ago. But we have found that such codes and philosophies did not save us no matter how much we tried. 
We could wish to be moral. We could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. The word philosophically refers to how I think. To be moral is referring to what I do. And twice those words are used. The first sentence of a mere code of moral or a better philosophy. And then again on the next page, we could wish to be moral. We could wish to be philosophically comforted. So my, my thoughts could comfort me. What I do could be different. In fact, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. So here we are again in We Agnostics, which is a chapter all about step two. And I just wanted to to mention that I just marvel at how, once again, we are being bathed in step one along the way. Step one and step two are being presented over and over, paragraph by paragraph. And I just marvel at the first paragraph. The one word that really, really shocks me is conquer, which only a spiritual experience will conquer. That is a strong word conquer like there is a beast within me and i believe there is that needs to be conquered the beast is my mind my my the mental twisting that goes on in my mind in the next paragraph to be doomed doomed another very strong word to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis that's another very strong concept to be doomed and then in the next paragraph it's like this this incredible warning, but after a while we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. That's another very strong word. And I, I marvel that here we are in the year 2013 and that I can go to my doctor and beg him to help me, that I can't lose this weight, that I'm heading for diabetes, that I'm 250 pounds, Please do something. I wanted a lap band, of course. And and his response as a medical professional, a PCP, primary care physician, go buy a roll of duct tape from Home Depot and stop eating. And dismissive. Here we are in a day and age where alcoholism has even been recognized, that we are aware that this is something that requires assist from medical community. But no, not not my crazy eating, not my mental twisting brain. And here, thank God, thank God, OA, the last house in the block led me to the tent in the backyard, a vision for you, with all of you, with our flashlights and our big books becoming Bible, not Bible, but better, big book thumpers to to bring healing about finally, to to respond to this. We could wish to be moral. We could... We could wish to be philosophically comforted. I read so many self-help books in my youth. In fact, we could will. I couldn't will anything. And ultimately, our human resources, as marshaled, marshaled meaning, ordered or directed by the will, were not sufficient. They failed utterly. Thank you. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Zippy, go ahead. Hello, do you hear me? Yes, I do. Go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thank you, everyone on the line. This is Tippy, a compulsive overeater from Canada. So, um, in fact, we could will these things with all our might. 
So when I first came into this program, I was uh, 49 turning 50, and I had a bet with my sister-in-law, let's do something for ourselves and lose 50 pounds and go to Venice. Anyway, I lost, thank God, over 50 pounds. We didn't make it to Venice, but um, simultaneously as I was aging, I, I wanted to be growing spiritually, and although... I, I lived a very religious life. There were certain character traits that were not going away. And every year when I fasted on Yom Kippur and by every birthday when I took something upon myself to work on that year to grow spiritually, it just wasn't going. And when I got to this book, of course, I resisted it because I knew better. And especially this chapter, <laughs> I'm not an agnostic because I didn't realize the dance I was doing with God, two steps forward, one step back. Whenever I went back into the food, for whatever reason, even though I didn't act upon, my actions might ha not have been so negative, but things were ticking me off with family members. But when did it really hit me was when I did have my abstinence for a long time, and then something would happen in my life. Like my friend went into anaphylactic shock and passed away. And I immediately went right into the food. And I said to myself, shame on you, Zippy. You are agnostic. I understood intellectually that everything was God's will. And I understood that this was her time to go. But I was not spiritually behaving the way I should have been because I went back into the food. And there were other things in my life I wanted to work on not gossiping, and I thought I could stop cold. And I wanted to work on um, not feeling anger, even if I didn't say mean words towards my family members. And I should have been really very grateful because my family was really growing. I was getting all these lovely new members, and people would compliment me on these new in-law children that were coming in, and deep inside of my intestines, I'll say the Yiddish word, kishkas, I was getting ticked off, and I was so ashamed. My insides were not like my outsides because I wasn't accepting God's will. And I want to thank all of you on this line. This is the Harvard of the big book study because I tried big book studies and I even asked people and I just wasn't, maybe I wasn't ready, but I just wasn't getting it. And I am so grateful. I'm going through something in my life now where my friends are saying, are you okay? Can, what can we do for you? Are you okay? And, and, and they're so willing to come to the hospital and do whatever they want. And, and I am walking with God. The passage says, you have to know God in all your ways. And I wasn't knowing God in all my ways all the time. But today, thank God, I don't have a halo on my head. It's not a complete circle, but thank God I understand it. And, and being on this line is such a savior. And I want to thank all of you. And, and have a thank wonderful you. day. Thank you, Zippy. Okay, we have come to the end of our time. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with a reading from the big, big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And Katie, can you read a vision for you, please? I can do that. Um, 
Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize that we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.